is reality. And we need to be found. Now the first two parables, and we're going to look at them, the object that was lost, in a, uh, one case a sheep, the other case a coin, the coin and the sheep did not go looking for their master, the one who owned them. In the third one, the son, the prodigal son, he does turn back. And the father is there with his hands out, welcoming him back. That's us. The point is this, is that no matter what happens, there is hope for you. And the end of this whole thing, the bottom line is the lost is found and there is joy and there is gladness as a result of that. The truth is, I don't know how you came in here this morning. A couple of my buddies came in here because they want a tractor pull. They didn't come because they want to hear me preach. They're, they're probably like, yeah, get over it so we can go play by their tractors. I understand that, guys. That's fine. Other people, you came because your neighbor nagged you, and so you showed up. I know there's a few like that in here. You might be here for other reasons. I hope when you leave, that in your heart, in your life, you know who you belong to. And you are where you need to be. And you can leave with joy and rejoicing. That's my point. You, the rest of the sermon is just filling in the, in the blanks uh, in that direction. So what I'd like to do is just simply look at this. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, the tax gatherers and the sinners... Uh, we're coming near to him. That is to Jesus. These sinners are those that are prostitutes. People that are looked at by society as horrible and unredeemable. Nobody wants to do anything with them. You rub shoulders with, with them, it might rub off on you. And the tax gatherers, nobody likes the tax man to start with, but these people were Jews who worked for the Roman government collecting taxes, and by a vast majority, they were not men of integrity or credibility. They got what they could from the Jewish people and gave as little as they needed to to the Romans. That's what they did. The Romans didn't like them, but they served their purpose, and the Jewish people despised them. And these are the people that were coming to Jesus. See, it was, they were the low of the low, and they recognized that they were lost. Now, the spiritual leaders of the day, called them here the Pharisees, they were the legalists, and the scribes or the teachers of the law, they were the teachers of religion. They were saying, this guy can't be the real thing because look who he's hanging out with. He's hanging out with these bad people, these immoral, sinful people. We don't like that. They began to grumble and said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Nobody should do that. Truth is, if you have the truth, it's not going to do anybody any good unless you rub shoulders with them. And that's exactly what Jesus did. In fact, is, did you notice the people who thought they were okay, they were still lost, they didn't want anything to do with them. In fact, is, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the ones that were always arguing with Jesus. But it was those that knew they were lost that would come to him. And that's exactly what is happening here. And because they didn't get it, he said, I'm going to tell you a parable. And a parable is a short story that hopefully helps us to get the point. And that's what he is going to do uh, in the next uh, 
little bit here. And so what he does, and this is verse 4, it says, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, uh, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And that's exactly what he's saying to them. Is Here's a shepherd. He has his sheep. He knows them by name, and the shepherds did. The sheep followed him because he called them. And one of them got lost. It wandered off. It didn't even know it was lost. It just wasn't there. And so he needs to find out what's going on. And he lets the others, not in danger, but he leaves them by himself. And he is so interested in that one that is missing that he spends his time and his energy to go after that one. That one becomes the focus of his is that thing flipping? Yes, it is. We'll get rid of that. How's that? That was distracting as can be. But uh, it didn't do it on my computer at work. It's doing it here, though. But uh, so, he is distracted to that one sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he is so overjoyed that he can't contain the joy himself. And so what he does is he calls it his neighbors together, his friends, and he says, Rejoice for me, with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You want to see joy in heaven? You want to see jumping and shouting and hallelujah in heaven? Bring someone to Christ. Find someone who is lost and bring them back to the fold. There's joy in heaven. See, lost, found, joy. That's the whole process that we're looking at. I remember when, when I was young, I grew up on a farm, most of you know that, and one particular night, I remember somebody, it, must, it was after dark, it was the summertime, so it was at least 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Somebody stopped, a stranger stopped and said, uh, do you have cattle that are out of the, the pasture? We're like, we don't know. We, I went to find out. Sure enough, the, the heifers had gotten out, and they were everywhere. They were in a cornfield. The corn was high enough that you couldn't see them. And so we're out there in the pitch dark with the truck lights on, the tractor lights on, flashlights. The neighbors are helping. We've got to get the cattle back in the fence. And i got to tell you, I know my dad, and I know what a farmer is like. He was not going home and sleeping until every one of them was back in and the fence was patched. And that's exactly what we did. It's just a practical illustration because it's something that's valuable. The shepherd said, sheep is valuable. Are the 99 valuable? Oh, yeah. But that one is also valuable. That's you. That's me. Because of all the world. God's loved the world, that's true. But he loves each one of us as an individual. And we are valuable to him. Now the next parable is about a lady. So we, we get this on all sides. This lady, and it was probably her dowry. She most likely was wearing it like a necklace. She had coins. And it might look something like this. Okay, we don't know exactly. But it might look And one of them fell off i got to tell you, she is disturbed. Lose your earring, any of those kinds of things, you're disturbed. She gets out her broom, and she is doing spring cleaning. There is nothing going to stop her. Dust is flying everywhere. All the furniture gets moved. Everything gets moved because she is going to find that coin. And finally, she finds it. 
And you know what? The joy is overwhelming in that case. She calls everybody together and says, Rejoice for me! I found it! And they're making merry. And then it says, There is rejoicing among the angels in heaven over a sinner who repents. Now, my wife is the uh, end of this next story because mine was a farmer's story. That's a guy kind of thing. When you get married, right before you get married, you give an engagement ring, right? It becomes more valuable than the stone itself. By the way, I was pretty poor back then. The stone was not that valuable. But we're married. How long, Faye? A few years we're married. And one day... We're married 35 years, by the way. I know that part. Okay, but one day she looked down at her engagement ring, and there was a ring there, but the diamond was not. Now, i got to tell you, my wife had the droops for the next month. She walked like this everywhere she went trying to find her diamond. She never did find it. Praise the Lord, uh, the kids grew up and started going out of the house. I was actually a... 23 years of marriage, I actually bought her a new one. That one actually cost more than the first one. But, but I got to tell you, when she found out that diamond was missing, she was looking everywhere to find that diamond. Now, in her case, she never found it. In this case, she did. But if she would have found it, you would have heard her all over Shope Gardens. Hoo! You know, it would have been, she doesn't do that, but she would have been hooping and hollering anyway. The point is this. There's joy when something that's lost is found, right? Okay? That's the way it is. And in heaven, the sinner that's found, the one that comes to Christ, there's joy in heaven, not just among the saints there, but also the angels. But that's not what we usually look at when we see probably the most famous of all the parables in the New Testament is what we call the prodigal son. Now, the stage is set with this man who he had two sons who had the gimmies. The first son, the younger one, he says, give me my inheritance. I want what's mine. Now, that normally did not happen until somebody died or right near the end of life and the inheritance was given out. But this guy is selfish and he's got the gimmies and he says, dad, give me what's mine. Now, the dad obliges him. The older son, and I probably will get to the end and not have time to this, but he said to his father later, he says, you've never even given me a goat, a small goat, give me, to have a party with my friends so we can make merry. Both of them were the same. They were both lost. Actually, two prodigal sons. But we're looking at the first one in particular. So he gets his uh, inheritance, and... He, sometimes shortly thereafter, he leaves. And it says that not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on to a journey to a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. There are three things we know for sure from this. First of all, he squandered it. It's the definition of a prodigal. He just used it unwisely. He acted as if, you know the old saying is, I've said it to my kids, you've probably had your parents say it to you. What do you think, money grows on trees? Well, that's what he thought. Because he got this inheritance. He didn't have to work for it. It was his. By the way, he had nothing more coming. Remember that. Everything that was coming to him had already now been given to him. So he's got it all. There's none more coming later. 
The other son gets everything that's left. And so he goes out and he squanders everything that his father had given him. And he says he used it with loose living. Loose living simply means this. He wasted it. He didn't invest it. He didn't use it wisely. He wasted it. I got a picture in my head. This guy went out and he had friends. Do you ever notice that when the teenage guys, remember when you were the first guy in your group that got a car, everybody was your friend because they wanted to ride? Remember that? You know, that's the kind of thing that happens. Or you get the newest thing, everybody wants to ride your bike, you name it, whatever it is. You're everybody's buddy. They like you now. I believe that's this guy. And he just wasted it. And these people were his friends until the money ran out. And I got to tell you, there was nobody there to pick up for him. And then we also know that even though he went to a distant country, his older brother said, hey, this is your son. The one, remember, you, you gave him all the money. He went out and wasted his money on prostitutes. Immoral living. I believe this guy's reputation for partying was so great that it came right back to the home. I think they knew what was going on. But i got to tell you something. In this case, unlike the shepherd and unlike the wife, the father doesn't leave the estate. Oh, he's looking. And he is waiting. And he is hoping. And he is praying. And he is wishing that his son would come back. But i got to tell you, he doesn't go hunting him down. He's waiting for him to change his mind. A sheep doesn't change his mind. It doesn't even know it's lost. A coin obviously doesn't have a mind. But people do. And the key thing here is, God will let you. He'll let you go. He'll let you do anything you want to do. And that is an absolute fact. He will not stop you from being foolish. He will not stop you from wasting your life, your money, your talent, your abilities. He won't stop you at all. He'll let you do whatever you want to do. He could stop you in, a, in your tracks if he wanted to, but he doesn't. That's the way he operates. He wants us to come to him and love him and come back to him because we make the choice to do that. That's what he wants, and that's what he always does. And so... Uh, this son goes out, he wastes all his money, and in verse 14 it says, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. It's the preparation for change. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but God doesn't care what he uses. He will use death, he will use health, money, a bad job, horrible circumstances, reversals of any sort. And you know what? You sound, God uses horrible things like that? The answer is yes, he does. He uses anything to get our attention. And he is pleased to use those things. Am I saying he always brings them? Not necessarily, but he uses them to get your attention. So that you recognize that you cannot live life on your own. You need the Father. You need Christ. You need God in your life because He is the source. He is the provision for everything. And He wants us to recognize that. When we recognize that, we will do, as the prodigal son did, we'll come to our senses. Now, I'm ahead of myself, so let's back up. Let's find out what he did. Well, the first thing he did 
when he found he was in need. The, the stage was set for um, a big problem in his life. He tries to solve it on his own power. Human beings, I'm one of them and so are you. Something happens, a lot of times the first person we, don't, we do not first turn to God and say, God, I need help. We go, you know what, what am I going to do to solve it? Even if it's sin, we try to cover the sin. If it's some reversal, we think, well, I'm going to work a little bit harder. It doesn't matter what it is. Even if we made it ourselves, we try to fix it ourselves. And that's what the prodigal son does also. Look at verse 15. He says, he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the field to feed swine. A young Jewish man. Guess what? The Jews want nothing to do with pigs. And they don't really like foreigners either. Guess what? This guy has been brought down as low as he could go. He is working for a foreigner on a pig farm. Whew. You don't get a whole lot lower than that. But that is his attempt to solve his problem. But we already know there was a famine in the land, and it gets really bad. How do we know it gets bad? Because they started feeding carob pods to the pigs. Now, carob grew wild. It's a tree that gets about 30 feet high. i got a couple pictures here. Um, of, oh, that's the pig farm. Okay, this is the carobs. It's a tree, and it has what, it almost looks like locust beans that we have around here, but it's a lot bigger. It's got a sweet taste, so you can actually make sugar, and there are recipes. If you go on the internet, you can get recipes for carob, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. But it grows wild. It's very hardy, and even though the famine was uh, in full swing, uh, it continued to grow, and it's down to the point that all they have left to feed the pigs is carob beans. I've got to tell you how bad it is. The owner of the hog said, and you better not eat the pig feed. That's what he's saying. Nobody was offering him even the pods that were being fed to the pigs. So he was under orders, from what I can tell here, not to eat any of the pig feed. I can remember when we were kids, and don't think this is gross because it's really not gross, but we had calf feed. It was bought calf feed. And it was covered, it was corn and pellets and all kinds of other stuff, but it was covered with molasses. And when we were kids, we would take the calf feed and, and you know, just kind of chew on it and eat it. We did that kind of stuff. We were weird. But nonetheless, we did that. But it tasted sweet. Carob would have been a little bit like that. And I guess if you got really hungry, I guess you could have eaten the corn that was in the calf feed. Uh, we just chewed on it and spit it out. But he wasn't allowed to even do that. That's how bad the famine was. And so even if he tried to meet his own needs and do for himself whatever he could to make, to make it through, he wasn't even allowed to do that. So his conditions get to the point where he cannot even uh, uh, keep himself uh, in, you know, eating or anything else. He's just in really bad shape. And so... Uh, he comes to the end of who he is. And then he tries to meet his own needs. Here's what people do today. It's not pig food. It's not carob beans. But you know what people turn to? They know they're lost. They know they're not right with God. They know they're sinners. So they turn to religion. You go, hold it a second. You're a pastor. You're supposed to be talking about it. You know what? If you come to Garden Chapel, you don't hear about religion. 
Religion is something that man does to try to get to God. That's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible is not about religion. In fact, it talks about a negative. The Bible talks about a relationship with God that is not started by us. But it's started by Him and comes to us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. You see, God saw us, and he saw us in that mess we've made for ourselves. He saw that we're trying to fix it ourselves and said, you know what? They can't fix it. They never will be able to. Only a perfect sacrifice is able to deal with this. And so God the Father sent God the Son to take on a body just like ours, yet without sin, and live among us, understand who we were, be a part of the circumstances that we're in, and then, oh, that was a great example. People say, oh, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. He was a great example, the greatest teacher. True, he was. There is no greater example and no greater teacher. I agree with that. He was, oh, he was the perfect man. He was that too. But you know what? Not a single one of those things saved anyone. Only the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross in our place. That's what they were singing about earlier. Only Him dying, shedding His blood, giving His life, having God the Father turn His back on Him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? Only that paid for our sin. Only with that sacrifice could we ever be saved. That's it. He exchange his life for our life. We're in the pig pen. We're trying to do, do it ourselves. And by the way, not everybody turns to religion to deal with their problems. Some people turn to alcohol and drugs. Some people turn to relationships, and not even necessarily good relationships, immoral ones. Some people go into entertainment and amusement and they just keep their mind occupied with a TV or a hobby or a sport or whatever it is so they don't have to think about where they're at. The truth is they're still in the big pen. They're still sinners. It doesn't solve the problem. Only Jesus Christ solves the problem. The Father was waiting. We know that. I've read the end of the story. He's waiting for the Son to come to His senses. And that's what happens. If you want to continue along with me in verse 17, it says, but when he came to his senses. <laughs> Do you ever notice that when you get yourself in trouble, you can't think straight? <laughs> and, and the more you try, the worse your, your thinking gets. And you know what it's like. It keeps you up at night. And you can't concentrate on your work. And you can't concentrate on your spouse or your kids or... In fact, is kind of life really starts stinking because everything's messed up. And that's exactly what happens. Everything becomes messed up. But now he comes to his senses. He comes back and he starts thinking straight again. I don't know what you do when you come to this circumstance. I know what this guy does. I literally, sometimes in my mind and sometimes out loud, go, you dummy. <laughs> I don't know what you do. But I'm going, I'm trying to fix something myself. I'm trying to do it in my own way without trusting God. And all of a sudden I'm going, you dummy. You know you can't do this. I don't know what you do. But that's coming to your senses like, hey, get a grip. You can't do this. God can do it for you and through you and in you. And what does he come up when, when he comes to you dummy? He says, 
you know what? My father, he has servants. And they're a whole lot better off than I am. They get a paycheck every week. They got food. They got clothing, shelter. They got everything they need. I know. They've got it all. I'm going to go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against you. And I've sinned against heaven. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Could I be one of your hired men? Could I come back and just simply work for you? So I can deal with this? Now, I've got to tell you, he knew by this time. He had come to his senses and he realized he blew it. His money all flew away. He wasted it. His friends were gone. His life was shattered. He had no resources and he had no hope. My father, I've got to tell you, that is the Bible. That is the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, folks? Here's what it is. No matter where you are, the Father's waiting for you. And when you come to your senses, you realize, you know what? God is there all along. God is there for me to work in my life. And he has done it all for me through Jesus Christ. It's all there. It's already done. He came to the conclusion that his father was the only solution. The Bible says it this way, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Help! He knew what direction to go. Our point this morning is this. If you've never trusted Christ, the direction is Christ. If you're trusting something else, or you might still feel like you're in the pig pen, whatever it is, help! Jesus Christ is there. He died for you over 2,000 years ago. He died for your sin. And He wants you to come to Him. But it's not okay just to know that. Lots of people know. You said, what's Christianity? They say, well, it's Christmas. Uh, God came in the form of a baby and He grew up. And then on Easter He died and rose again. Those are all true facts. But knowing those facts doesn't help you. I could read a manual on something, but if I've never got my hands in there and got them greasy, and they're always greasy, uh, you know, I, I don't really know how to do it. It has to be put into practice. So notice what he does. It simply says in verse 20, one phrase, he got up and came to his father. He had to put legs on what he knew to be true. Just sitting in the pig pen in misery, in filth, in shame, because it would have been shame for him. He could have just said, my father's and his hired servants got it better than I do. Well, that would have been good, nothing wrong with that. But until he got up on his feet and said, you know what, I'm heading back. I'm going to put my thoughts, what I know to be true, I'm going to put it into action. And that's exactly what he does. He heads back. In fact, the Bible says, and all the Father, this is Jesus talking, all the Father has given to me comes to me, and I will certainly not cast them out. You see, God the Father is doing exactly what the parable says. He's there waiting. He's watching. And I know that he's waiting and watching, watching because he sees him while he's a long way off. This continues on in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Can I use some sanctified imagination for a moment? 
I believe the father was saddened when his son got the gimmies. I think he was saddened when he decided he's going to give him his inheritance. I think he was sad when he heard the rumors come back. You know what your son is doing? You know what kind of orgies he's involved in? and What kind of garbage he's spending his money on? I think every one of those things saddened the father beyond imagination. And you know what I believe? Can't prove this from the Bible, but from this it says he was looking. I believe that every night before he went to bed, he prayed to God, God, bring my son to his senses. And I believe every morning when he got up, I, I picture this. He went to the nearest hilltop and looked as far as he could look as soon as the sun came up to see if he could see his son. I think he did that. I believe with my sanctified imagination, he did that every day because he loved his son. He wanted the best for his son. He didn't want to see his son suffer. He wanted him to be back in the family, back in the fold, back on the necklace. He wanted him back. Now notice, he didn't go in the pig pen and drag him out. God will not do that. God will not make you trust him. God will not make you believe that Jesus Christ has died for your sins. God will not make you get, off your, your, uh, get on your feet and go to God. He won't make you do any of those things. But what he does do is, come on back. Is he coming yet? I think that's what he's doing. I think that's what I see here. And the father sees him a ways off. And notice what he does now. He felt compassion for him. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, he got his speech prepared. Father, I've sinned against you in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your sons. Um, and he, get, he gets cut off. Isn't that rude of the father? He cuts him off. He didn't get a chance to say, make me one of your hired servants. He calls the servants. He says, come on in, guys. We got a party to plan for. Because he says, come on, bring him in, bring a ring, kill the calf, bring sandals for his feet. Can you imagine? This guy is down, he doesn't even have his sandals. I don't know if he sold them for his, you know, trip back. I, I don't know where, what happened to him, but he doesn't have sandals. He doesn't have anything. He has no signet ring that says, hey, I'm part of this family. He doesn't have any of those things. And the father says to his servants, bring all that stuff. Because this, this son of mine was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found, and they began to make merry. They were rejoicing. All of these things are not, told you so. You blew it, kid. None of those things. It's, welcome back. Man, we're so glad you came back. That's what God wants for all of us. i got to tell you, he says he will not cast anyone out that comes to him. That's his promise. Doesn't matter what you, where you think you've been or what you think you've done or how good or how bad or anything that you think of yourself. None of that stuff matters. What does matter is a father is waiting to bring us back. In fact, is he uses all those things at his disposal to make that even more happy. And that's exactly what they do. And you know that the older brother who is, I think, as prodigal as the other one, he comes back and he is mad. I can't believe this. Dad, this guy spent all your money. By the way, it was no longer the dad's money. He had given it to him. He blew his inheritance. 
He says, this guy, look what he's done, Dad. And you never gave me a, a, a goat. He's, he's killing the fatted calf. That was, you know, higher up in the totem pole. That's the prime rib, you know. That's, and you never even gave me a goat to have a party with my friends. And he's mad. And he will not ever even have a part of this party. He was not like the father. But there's joy. There's absolute joy in the end of this. It ends with this. And he said to him, my child, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. I used a couple of illustrations earlier. I'll close with one more. All of you know I got grease under my fingernails. I'm a motorhead. That's why I do tractor pulling. That's fun for me. Okay? That's relaxing for me. But I got to tell you, and some of you will understand this, whether it's you're a mechanic or not, is I have already, in the rubble in my garage, lost a tool. Let's just say it was a half-inch wrench, the one you use for everything. I'm telling you, there is no peace until you find the thing. You look under the car where you were. You look under the... You look everywhere, and it's just like everything else is there, but that half-inch wrench is missing. It's just not right. (laughs) And you find it, and you go... You know, and you go, yep, you big dummy, you put it, it was right where you put it, you forgot. By the way, I do forget. God doesn't forget. God is always looking. I'm just going to bring it to close. We were born sinners. You didn't have a choice in that. You were born a sinner. What you did have a choice in is you lived it out. And all of us do. And you say, well, I never did anything horrible. I never killed anybody or raped anybody or kidnapped anybody. I, I, you know, I don't try not to lie and I try to pay my bills. That's good. I'm glad you didn't do any of those. But you know what the ba- biggest sin of all is? Not trusting Jesus Christ. Because he said, you need me. You need to trust me. I made you. I sent Christ to die for you. And I love you. And I want you to come back and acknowledge that I'm your creator and your recreator, the one who has died, has sent Jesus Christ to die in your place so you can have eternal life, not just life here and now. I want you to come to me. The only unforgivable sin is not trusting Christ. That's the only unforgivable sin. That's what he wants us to do. So we're born sinners. He has died for us, and we, like the... Prodigal son need to come to our senses and realize he's the choice. We need to come back to him. Now, I don't know where you are this morning, but one of the main things, we're here to, we're going to have a lot of good eating. We're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of fellowship. We're going to have all of those things. But if you miss what I'm talking about right now, you've missed the main purpose. And that is God loves you. Christ died for you. And he wants you to come to Him and trust Him. He'll forgive your sins. He'll give you a life worth living, and He'll give you an eternity worth waiting for. I'm just going to have a word of prayer here. I don't give invitations, but I'll tell you what. Here's the invitation. Pastor Josh.